That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome, I'm Andrew Dice. And I'm Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute. A podcast rewatching, analyzing, discussing Zack Snyder's Batman v Superman one minute at a time. This, a very special episode. While the episodes we're coming off of were very special, and again, thanks to Richard Citrone, a special kind of minute in its own right, minute 69, this is not going to be a nice one. This is probably about the darkest. The movie. I mean, the movie goes to some dark places, but this is probably about as dark as it gets right here. This is like peak darkness for this movie. I guess we can go right into it. We had kind of left the previous minute where I think minute 68 ends with Bruce down on his knees, hands around the neck of a Superman guard, kind of in mid-snap. And that is where this minute begins. Bruce is basically defeated, but I think we get probably about five or six last seconds of fight. Yeah. There is something very cool visually. I don't know how much I want to really go into it, but the idea of hell following behind him, like we, we've kind of spoken a bit about that imagery, right? In, in both the painting and the horsemen and yeah, basically the end of the world, book of revelations type stuff. Insert Johnny Cash lyrics. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but it is, it is a, Quite a good six last seconds of basically Batman's last stand. Yeah, and what is really cool to me about this moment also is just how like full tilt he is in this last five seconds. Like the the jig's up, right? He's he's surrounded, he's outgunned, like it's it's the end, and he is still like the next snap is like one. It's not even half hearted. It's it, it really to, to me has the same energy as like in the metropolis flashback in the beginning when bruce runs full speed into the uh, into the smoke it's just that heedless yeah. like it might as well be a brick wall and he's not slowing down like he's going to run into that at full speed like not flinching just if that's the end he's going to hit it as hard as possible yeah i think it's cool that we we talked in those first minutes about even when he was driving through the city that this is not a well, not in a negative way, but this is not a finesse Batman per se. This is kind of like when S is hitting the F, he <laughs> is going to barrel through. Yeah. Like as much as he has to just with raw strength, even if it kills him. Um, Kind of like the more extreme the circumstance, yeah. the more extreme he is just going all out in response. Exactly. And well, and that gets a lot done, but also it if the if something is going to happen, it's only going to happen if he goes full speed. Like if he stops, then he's done. It also reminds me a little bit in a, in a weird way about the idea of I've always thought it was kind of fascinating how like professional athletes are are skilled and, and talented because they put in a lot of hard work and, and and spend a lot of time honing their their abilities and their and their technique. But also there's a there's a tendency for them to have like something different about their brain and the way they perceive pain and, and mm. the way that like. There are things that your body will tell you not to do because you know it's going to hurt. Yeah. Like you're going to make a lunge, you're gonna you're gonna run faster, 
Like at a certain point, your body just says, no, if you do that more, it's going to cause damage to you. But there's a common trait in, in professional athletes where if I would go to do a, a, a diving catch, my body would say like, mm, maybe, maybe kind of go down to your knees first. Like don't, don't do a full out stretched. You're going to land on your solar plexus and like rupture your spleen. Whereas like a professional athlete is just like, nope, full speed in the air, arms out. Like I'm going to hit the ground. <laughs> Because because their brain doesn't doesn't do that. And so that very much reminds me of like what Batman is doing here, where he's just like takes a special kind of dedication to be like, you know what? I'm about to die, but I'm not I'm not letting up and I'm going to snap a few necks on my way out, too. <laughs> yeah. What I mean by that same token, like it's funny because you said about going through a brick wall like that is figuratively right. Like runners talk about hitting the wall. Yeah. Where it's that same thing where your body your and, body tries to shut down, but you have to learn to ignore that voice in your head, which sadly is Bruce's problem. Right, exactly. Up to this point. Well, and you're not going to run through a brick wall. Like any sensible person knows that they're not. But you know what? If you were going to run through a brick wall, you would have to be going full tilt. We spoke earlier in the movie about Bruce's idea of what to do when faced with a threat because he watched Thomas Mm-hmm. Right. I, I We spoke at great length for people who've listened to this podcast. This will be even more fresh in their minds than it will be in ours. But the idea that when met with a threat, it was Thomas's instinct to hit, to mm-hmm. be aggressive, to attack. We likened that to, to Bruce's in that that is going to be kind of ingrained in him, that that is what someone who is protecting their own looks like. Yeah. And that this is a situation where Bruce is doing the exact same thing. Unfortunately... It didn't work for Thomas. It's not going to work for Bruce in this nightmare. So it is implying if attacking isn't the answer, then what isn't Bruce trying? <laughs> right. And I like that that's kind of a question that is certainly with his father, it's it's there. And in this sequence is a, is a similar, you know, end of the world kind of thing. Um, it's an interesting seed to kind of plant more recently in Bruce's mind of... You can be the toughest, you can be the strongest, you can be the most determined, and you can kill everybody before they kill you. Where is that going to get you? Mm-hmm. That's a interesting seed to plant. But again, as we said specifically, Bruce loses. Bruce is hit by somebody harder. Well, something harder. Yeah, one of those, those big uh, elite-looking parademons comes up from behind him and just crushes him in the back of the head. Yeah, it's it's an interesting little detail there, too, that, like, when it happens, the camera is not following Bruce, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's not like we are seeing his perspective of him being beaten. It is like the guards are literally trying to push him down out of frame, mm-hmm. like, out of the story. Buddy, the fight is over. The sequence is not about you. And as he tries to push his way back up into it, wham, he gets hit. And we're left with a, a kind of a split second image of what this story is really about, which is the parademons, these kind of monsters from the sky who have totally destroyed everything that Batman uh, has going for him with Superman logos all around him. And it sets the stage for a really cool blackout and then a scene change to certainly, it's hard to say, like, I guess it's getting kind of impossible to rank these moments anymore. (laughs) But these are definitely the nightmare sequence. Everything is dripping with even more like poignant meaning. And just like iconic 
like it's iconic in in general like in the in the movie in, in terms of freeze frames or just this is one of the first full scenes that i think was released like instead of like a trailer they actually released this as a, as a clip from this moment but then also there's there's all sorts of like iconography within it with the the gestapo stormtrooper superman henchmen lined up and kneeling and the way superman comes in and lands <laughs> i it were like I guess we we don't really say it enough because it go it kind of goes without saying, but like Zack Snyder, Larry Fong, everyone involved in this, instantly iconic. Yeah, is is kind of the word like from the first second that you saw Superman slam down, and then begin that kind of walk forward in this incredible you know three hundred esque crushed uh, contrast lighting. Yeah, well, and it's hilarious because the concept of the superhero landing was kind of you feel like it almost jumped the shark with or or at least people pretend that it jumped the shark with um with deadpool calling it out right but i always loved the fact that snyder does it anyway and it's very much in the same way that people will kind of laugh at christ symbolism or or like christian iconography in movies the use of the cross yeah like a reflex almost yeah, which is which is relevant in this scene also, um, and um, but I love the fact that, that Snyder still sticks to it because the point is like no, that is like the iconic landing. Like oh, Deadpool made a joke about it, so you're gonna not do it anymore. Yeah. Also, I always I felt kind of like everyone else kind of makes fun of it because they can't do it as good as Snyder does it, and so instead of trying to replicate it and doing it worse, they're just like ah, oh, that's a dumb thing that superheroes don't need to do anymore. And he's like. Well, what if we do it like this? <laughs> yeah, how forget making it feel cheesy. I'm going to do it and have it convey the opposite of what it usually does. Yeah, this is the the monster coming. Like, uh, I'll I'll call it out. Like the thing that I love about this sequence, and I noticed this time just because of what we were talking leading into it is I'll call him Batman because the cowl's still on. <laughs> <laughs> it snaps to him waking up. And the way that it's conveyed to surprise and everything that's happened is we finally get to see Bruce's eyes again. Yeah. And that's a very anchoring thing compared to when we kind of watch his expression as he hears the sonic booms. Yeah. And as that happens, it's almost like he has to get his game face on. Like Mm -hmm. he knows what's coming. His head straightens out. He stands up and stares down this hallway. It's Superman coming. And as he does... He, he like lifts up and leans his head back to the point that you lose those eyes again. Mm-hmm. And he almost um, withdraws back into the Batman. Yeah. Which is paired really excellently with Superman walking forward. And even when his face and chest begin to be lit, Superman's eyes remain black. Yeah. Like that is now taken away from him. We're used to seeing Superman as there is no difference between he is always him. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to what we've talked about with Bruce Wayne and Batman. But now this Superman that is walking to us, it's a really clever way of instantly communicating. We don't know who this is now. Right. Well, and for both of them, it's it's like a sort of because like we said the eyes are what the eyes are the window to the soul. Right. So. Oh, oh so poignant, Stephen. Wow. Yeah. Right. So by so by masking them, it's 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 not not dehumanizing. It's, it's a it's like a shield almost. And so with the themes of this movie being very much like uh, fear and power and, you, you know, you, you fear what you don't understand. 
it's they they are both putting up their guard. Bruce is hiding behind the bat. Superman is hiding behind you know whatever this is that is you know the the red in his eyes. And instead of sorting out their issues or like having a a conversation about it, they both retreat behind a a defense persona or a more violent persona, less human. Right. Yeah. They they remove the humanity from it so that they don't have to 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 grapple with whether with the fact that they're dealing with another human here they're just dealing with batman and they're yeah. dealing with this evil alien it, it makes it make more sense that superman is the symbol now and right. there's just a guy in the suit that we can't really even make out or connect to until his eyes become visible because it uses his heat vision <laughs> to basically turn every one of batman's soldiers around him to dust leading to what again is one of the coolest moments continuing this this motif of eyes and uh, emptiness where he removes Bruce's cowl, uh, exposing Bruce Wayne as, well, I guess ex- exposing him as in no way Batman anymore, like literally stripping that of him. Right. Well, separating the two. Exactly. Yeah. Just to drive that point home, then we get uh, a shot of Superman. Even Superman wants to take in the empty cowl. Now mm-hmm. staring back once again, almost like in the same place in the frame that it was earlier in the movie when Bruce was staring at it. Right. Well, you even I think you still have the 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 camera to even does a little push in. Yeah. Um. To it's he is he is not looking at the empty cowl. He is looking at Batman, um, in one hand and Bruce in the other. Yeah. And the the subtext of the I think I think Superman kind of shifts back but but basically that is where this scene or this minute ends yeah the subtext of him stripping that off of, and holding up the empty cowl and then dropping it is the batman is dead mm-hmm. and so I, I like that they're that they're playing with that a little bit and that's something that I'll, i will get back into which is which is the thing that really really has kind of gelled for me in this minute but before we get there i know that you have raised some points about superman's costume yeah well i think that actually dovetails really nicely out of what you were saying as well though that and we don't need to go too deep into this because a lot of it is just kind of speculation based on stuff we don't fully know about the nightmare yet but because it's something that happens in the future and we know how this movie ends we know that this is all wrapped up in and some alternate version of the future that takes place after Superman has presumably died and, and come back, if the events of Batman v Superman played out the same way. We know that he's supposed to come back in Justice League with the and, and use the black suit. So the question was, why is Superman wearing the red and blue suit here? Is that a a continuity error? If if he you know, or or why would he wear the red suit? Especially because people perceive the black suit as like a darker, like evil Superman is gonna wear the black suit, right? There's there's a couple responses to that. Zach actually just recently confirmed on Vero. The reason is because he goes back to the ship and gets the blue and red suit after he is, succumbs to the anti-life equation, which is what's going on here. He's under the control of Darkseid's anti-life equation. Why? We'll find out in the next minute. But so then there's the question of what is the red suit versus the black suit? And that's something Zach explained in the Man of Steel commentary that he did, where the black suit isn't like the evil superman suit uh in the comics it's the solar suit but in his continuity he says that the black suit is actually like the family suit it's not the yeah, it's similar to jor-el's in the first movie right 
Yeah, exactly. And so the blue and red suit is like the ceremonial or like the public facing, like the PR suit. It's what he's going to wear to represent himself to the people. And so the whole idea of him dying and then coming back and, and having the black suit is anchored in him seeking to find himself, right? And the idea is after a journey, he would then get the red suit back like he'd earned it, right? He'd earned the right to bear the symbol as a as an icon that people right. will stumble and fall and, and join him in the sun. The idea of him being succumbing to the anti-life equation and then going and getting the red and blue suit plays right back into what you were talking about, about his identity, is that it's a choice to present himself as this pinnacle of like, I am Superman. Like I am the Superman, not just, I am this, the the red and blue suit doesn't represent the hope and, and hope and optimism of like the bright colors. It represents, this is a symbol. This is something that people are intended to, to rally behind or crumble below. It's a, it's his mask of sorts that I found was a sort of interesting answer to that. But the other thing that people don't talk about with the nightmare as much, and we once again, we'll go way deeper into this into the next minute, but that we are talking about that this particular part of the story here is a, is a dead end timeline. Once we get to the next minute, we're going to talk about the way that time travel affects the, everything that's going on here. But the fact of the matter is this version of the nightmare is not the same version of the nightmare we're going to get in justice league and beyond. It's about to end and it's going to be changed and repeated and it's a cyclical thing. So regardless of what suit he's wearing, it doesn't matter because he's going to make a different choice or he could make a different choice in a different version of the nightmare down the road. And so it's not a continuity error. Yeah. And I guess I'll just leave it at that. And we, and there's more that we can break down in that in the next minute. Yeah. Spoiler time travel coming in the next minute. Yeah. <laughs> I will now just talk about the thing which riles me up the most about this minute in the best way. It's interesting that that you're describing Superman using the red and blue suit as almost like an antichrist figure. Yeah. Where where he is now actively after succumbing to the anti-life equation and losing his hope and losing his, you know, uh basically everything good mm -hmm. that he would then put on a symbol for nefarious purposes. Um in this minute the thing that we haven't talked about and the thing that I know struck me the first time I saw the movie Batman, when we see him, I think when he wakes up, the movie even makes a point of showing him flanked by his soldiers. Yes. And then we get this reverse shot, basically, to where Superman is going to be of Batman in the foreground, chained up, ready to be executed, flanked by a man on either side. And if you're talking about a movie where the Christ imagery and biblical, I'll just say like tradition, is kind of steeped. Yeah, I always picture like um, Zack Snyder swimming in a pool of symbolism, like Scrooge McDuck <laughs> in his pool of gold coins. Yes. I'd like to think that Zack would approve of that. But in this case, I guess for, for anyone who doesn't know the, the Bible story, because I think it gets glossed over a lot, the short version is everyone knows the Jesus crucifixion story on the cross. Three of the Gospels say that he is crucified with two other men on either side of him. One of them in particular says that one of the men who is usually referred to as the good thief or the penitent thief is the person who basically repents before he's executed. And that's where Jesus says today, you will be with me in paradise, which is one of the very famous quotes, while the other thief, the bad thief or the impenitent thief does not. He mocks him. He joins in with the rest of the crowd, mocking him and saying, if you're if you're really so powerful, then take yourself down from there and seek your revenge on those that are harming you. 
Yeah, and that is, I think he's referred to as Gestus, who, who is the one who says that. And then Dismas, the other thief, basically tells him to knock it off. Saint Dismas, as he is known by Catholics, or Saint Demas, while we're on the time travel theme, if you thought we weren't going to get a Bill and Ted reference in here. <laughs> but but anyway, that you cannot have one person strung up to be killed with one person on each side of them and be Zack Snyder. Yeah. <laughs> Without people assuming that is what is being alluded to here, especially since all three are executed. Right. Exactly. And this is this is hardly a the first time there's been biblical references in it, but just because it's something that this movie or Snyder in particular kind of tends to come under fire for. I think it's important to to point out that like the like metaphor is not an analogy. Yes. They are two different things. And and whenever the response to biblical symbolism is often a oh wow, so deep <laughs> like mocking sort of. And and like you said about him, I thought it was a very great well, it's a joke, but also kind of a great metaphor is him like swimming in a pool of of symbolism that the point is like these are not they're not just two thieves there there's there's at least three or or not thieves but batman soldiers there's at least three or, or four total but he chooses to frame it with the two on either side he wants you thinking about that yeah exactly and when he does that it's not always a this is just like the bible he it's it's it is a it's just a hint of a something bigger and something that has established significance and established mythology in our world. And so you'll find that like, just cause he, there's, there's a cross or because there's a, there's, you know, a, a Bible or, or, or someone will reference scripture or whatever. I think people often look for that to be like a straight a to B parallel. Totally. Like, Oh, he's, he's, he's comparing Superman to Jesus. It's like, no, no, no. He's just, it is just echoing a value or it is echoing a flavor and uh, and so that's something that, that happens here. And there's also some interesting inversions on that concept, because like you said, the crosses are on the hill and it's the repentant thief. Whereas here it is they are strung up below the ground and Superman is normally supposed to be the savior figure. Right. And he's yeah. the one but he's actually the executioner here. And he kills all three without opportunity. He doesn't even give them opportunity for repentance. So it's a it's an inversion of mm-hmm. all of those things. And that doesn't mean we need to go to the Bible and say, what does it mean in the Bible? Let's straight invert that. And that's exactly what's being implied. He's just saying, hey, this is a grand mythological thing that is happening. And so therefore it echoes other grand mythological things. Yeah. I mean, that have happened. I feel like you could say that every movie Zack Snyder has made could alternatively be titled what we talk about when we talk about X. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this one is what we talk about when we talk about superheroes. Right. The, the idea that, like you said, okay, well, Batman is the villain of this story. In this situation, he was just betrayed by one of his own. Mm-hmm. He's now being taken and is to be basically crucified and executed. I'm going to make you think about that. Because the character right now, as we've already seen kind of explored in maybe less literal, but but definitely just as, you know, um, tangible, Bruce believes himself to be the hero of the story. Mm -hmm. In his mind, this is his sacrifice. I am going to be the last person standing against evil. And I'm going to kill again, like I said earlier, I'm going to kill as many people as I have to to get it done. Bruce that's not what 
a Messiah, you know, like that is not what a savior is. That is not what the point of this is going to be, because we know we've seen earlier with his subconscious coming to him and with the stained glass image of, of Superman, his mind is at odds with his rage, basically, right? right? Like his mind knows that there is a Messiah in this story, but he's not it. So this nightmare is a nightmare also in the way that that Messiah has become the villain okay, Bruce, you have forced this story to make you the the lone, you know, the last standing hero in the name of good. And what is it going to get you? No repentance, you know, no salvation, everybody dead. Uh, Spoiler, everybody's going to die here. But the, the very fact that we have this story is at its heart in ways that we've already talked about the Messiah right? Like the savior mm-hmm. of mankind and earth center stage and two broken, corrupt, eerily similar, bad and good thieves on either side of him. And by the end of this story, is one of them going to repent? Like is, is one of them going to realize the truth here and be spared while, while the other one basically just sticks with the crowd and mocks and, you know, jeers at the hero along with everybody else and pays the price for it. Which one are you going to be, Bruce? This is all at work in his head. This is all at work in the mind of the audience. And to what you were saying, it's not this means that. I think that. Right. It, and, and again, like the thing that I won't put words in your mouth, but the thing that I always come back to is the the experience of watching this story play out and considering the story is so much more satisfying because these kind of things are raised. Like you said, it's a choice to frame it that way. And while it doesn't tell you that this story is an analogy for the Bible, think about these kind of questions. Like, we're going to have horsemen. You know, this is this kind of big mythic thing that we're telling. And by the end of the story, we're going to have (laughs) – it's going to be biblical. Right. Well, and I think the the kind of phrase that we're dancing around here is visual language. And the two things that I think are really – important to consider in the way that he crafts these moments is number one if you just listen to the way he talks about these movies or about these moments he doesn't always have a specific answer to what exactly is happening or why it's happening it's very frequent that you'll hear Zack Snyder say something along the lines of um, I think it's really I'm really fascinated by the notion of X, Y, or Z And it's not always an answer. He's just saying the notion of Batman being represented as the mythological savior is enticing to me. And so I did that. So that's that's kind of the first part of it that's interesting. The second part is Zach has the script, gets the script all written. And then before he starts production, he storyboards everything. And then they work off of the storyboards on set. And so what he's doing is he is telling the story with images. Well, and how can you tell a story with images? Well, how do you tell a story with words? We have words that have common meanings because we we use them normally. We have inflection and it and and based on culture and other things, we can infer meaning from each other based on historical usage uh, um, and and emphasis of different words. Yeah. So when you talk about visual storytelling, it's the same thing. You have visual iconography that communicates the notion of certain things that we know have happened because of other visual iconography that it has been attached to in the past. So you have a moment like this where Superman drops down. And so the descent is a 
is is showing there's a there's a darkness there right and he literally comes into darkness his eyes are hidden those are all visual language elements you have the black soldiers who look like like a like a gestapo yeah face stormtrooper fascist symbology they all kneel for him that's a, a very fascist totalitarian representation yeah then superman comes down and he's in the shadow but his emblem shines and batman is chained up with the two thieves on the side these are all things that are echoing the notion of visual um, icons that we have had from from historical visual storytelling paintings and other movies and propaganda and it's bringing it all together to there's no words even spoken in this minute but look at how much we've you know, I think we started this episode, we said we're going to talk for 10 minutes about it. And now we're 30 <laughs> minutes in and we're talking about the story being told using visual icons yeah. because there's that much there, despite nobody saying this Superman is totalitarian. Like, no, the, the <laughs> visual says that we don't need to say it. Batman is the savior. Nobody needs to say that because he's he's presented visually as a savior figure would be presented. You know, that's how we're able to do a, an entire episode on every minute of this movie is because it's it's packed with that from beginning to end yeah i have to imagine like the the closest thing would be someone growing up watching like uh shakespeare and then you sit them down and then just begin an opera in front of them yeah like they'd be like whoa am i supposed to be am i supposed to be listening to what they're saying or what they're singing i've had um friends before who and i remember i knew someone who who said that like their their girlfriend doesn't watch movies and like they'll have weird experiences where they sit down and talk about something or they'll or they'll sit down and watch, they'll watch a movie and there'll be a shot of like someone getting out of their car in their driveway and the camera is positioned behind a bush and they'll say um, oh someone's watching them and she'll go oh how do you did I miss that did what where where are they and they're like well they're behind the bush and she'll be like well how did have you seen this before and he's like no the camera is behind we are we are looking at them from behind, like that's what that means when that happens in a movie it means that or it's supposed to give you a feeling How am of I supposed unease. to know that yeah exactly without the you know that is a visual <laughs> that's visual iconography right there and so you know sometimes it's pulled from you know the fact that everyone has seen a, enough thrillers to know that that's the case sometimes it's because you know there's renaissance paintings that evoke the notion of a savior yeah. <laughs> that are presented in this way and it, it's the same it's the same thing. I would like to think that we're operating on the language that the movie has established itself, mm-hmm. where we watch Bruce look at that suit as something other than himself. And now we've watched Bruce and Batman kind of like integrate before this. And now they've been ripped apart again. Yeah, it's neat. I haven't, I, I just, I haven't, I rarely take the time to stop and think of when I actually internalize some of this language. Right. Now I'll just have to keep asking. I think that I'm hope I hope that this podcast has helped <laughs> yeah. other people think of that because we end up kind of echoing and repeating the same things at different times that even I'm not expecting. Yeah, well, and even talking in this minute, I was just watching forward um, a little ways recently, and uh, this comes up again in in a few minutes. All of these moments are very clearly echoed, except they'll use words. You know, there'll be more dialogue, but the dialogue to me like has that it's it's dripping with that same visual like the the things that he says like what i hear in my head in the scene so i don't want to you know, i don't want to spoil it but like i hear dialogue in my head in this scene that are from that's from another scene in the movie because what they are representing visually here is stated outright later and it's um 
and we'll geek out about that when we get there. But it's it's so yeah. um, it's 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 yeah, it's borrowing from its own visual iconography and language and language that's been established by Zach and other movies and by other visual references that they're using. And it's it's all you know, it could be a silent it, this like it, it is a silent movie for this scene. There is no dialogue. <laughs> and yeah, and we got all this out of it. To this point, we've been seeing Superman as the savior and Batman as the <laughs> misguided monster. Yeah. And it should be pointed out that, like, in a, a watch through of this movie, we don't know what's going on. Like, yeah. sitting in the theater for the first time, this is, you know, minute four of WTF is this. <laughs> is this a dream? Is this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know. Worst case scenario, are we seeing Bruce's fears made real? This his paranoia. Like we know he's paranoid. So is this visual? Is this putting a visual to it? Like what? We don't know. Yeah, we are going to have an answer for that in the next minute. Yeah, but for now, that will do it. I guess I'll just take an opportunity to say thank you again to the people who have left reviews and and are reaching out about the podcast. That always is just the coolest thing in the world. And the people who are just personally recommending the podcast, which is like hands down the best way for more people to get in on the fun and share their thoughts. So thank you to everybody who's done that. Yeah. I just got asked by a friend recently because since Zack Snyder's justice league is, is announced and on its way to HBO max, there's a, there's a ton of people who had just been holding off on listening forever because they, for a variety of reasons, but mostly like they, the idea of this being a dead end movie just was kind of depressing to them. Our listenership has grown drastically since then, including a lot of people I know. And someone asked if I'm mad that um, I'm finding out that so many people weren't even listening from the beginning. <laughs> and like, I kind of I understand the question, but I was like, no, it's it's awesome to to know that a you now have all this stuff that we've talked about to to binge, but also to know that like I thought we already had a pretty passionate following. People were always really excited about it, and to know that there was that much more out there of of people that that are now just finding it for the first time it's really exciting and really cool and so and we're seeing that show up and you know in new people reaching out on social media or new new reviews on itunes and it's it's this is a very very fulfilling podcast so thank you to everyone who's listening and commenting and sharing with uh with your friends and we continue to welcome them on to the next minutes and beyond but for this one Despite our expectations, Minute 69, not very nice. Yeah, I am recording. Um, I'm going to take a sip of water, though. Or Actually, it's not water. It is water with a, with a squirt of uh, like flavor in it. But I'm going to take a sip of that. Okay, great. Welcome. I'm Andrew Dice. <clears throat> and I'm Stephen Colbert. 